Good morning. Hey, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Genesis. I got a question for you. Start out with. Here's the question. What is your one thing? What is your one thing? If you had to choose to do just one thing each day, if you had to choose just to focus on one thing, to give your attention to one thing every day, what would be your one thing? In 2013, author Gary Keller wrote a business book called The One Thing. It's a New York Times bestseller. It's won multiple awards. And in his book, Keller presents a simple but yet very profound concept. He says, focus on the one thing that matters most. Keller shares a personal story of finding himself overwhelmed with all of life's demands. Do you ever feel like that? And out of desperation one day, he asked himself the question, what's the one thing that I could do that by doing it, everything else would be uh, easier or unnecessary? That question led him to the realization that not all things in life matter equally. He really wanted to learn how to do the few things, the one thing that mattered the most, and then let the rest, in essence, kind of take care of itself. Now, I'm not endorsing Keller's book, but I really appreciate his concept and suggestion of focusing on the one thing that matters most. And I believe that if we could ask Jesus, if we could say, Jesus, what's the one thing that matters most in life? I'm fairly confident he would say, learning to abide in me. Today, as Paul mentioned, we're starting a four-week series called One Thing, Learning to Abide. And over the next four weeks, we're going to encourage you with this challenge. We want you to make abiding in Jesus your one thing. To make abiding in Jesus your number one prayer and pursuit in life. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking to yourself right now, what is abiding? Because abiding in Jesus is a brand new idea or concept for you. For others of you, you maybe have attended church for years and you've been encouraged throughout your life of following Christ, uh, you've been encouraged at various times to abide in Jesus. And so whether this is a new challenge for you and a new concept, or whether this is a renewed idea and challenge for you, I hope that over the next four weeks that you will sincerely and prayerfully consider making abiding in Jesus your one thing. And I think that during this series, we are going to learn that it's the one thing that matters most. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. There are a number of uh, Bibles uh, underneath the chairs around you. If you want to grab a Bible, you can turn to John 15. And as you turn there, will you, uh, I'm going to pray. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for your love for us. I'm so thankful for what you're doing in the life of our church family. I'm so thankful for this message, Jesus, that you gave your disciples. I trust that it's a message you want our church family to hear. And so, God, would you just guide me in my words? Would you, Holy Spirit, would you open the eyes and the ears and the hearts of those in this room? Lord, we want to hear from you today, Lord. Would you bring us wisdom and understanding? Would you bring us revelation, God? We want to encounter you today, Jesus, through your word. And, uh, Lord, would you help teach our church family to abide in you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. I want to take us to the last night that Jesus is with his disciples before Jesus gets arrested and crucified. Now, his disciples have been with him for over three and a half years now. For three and a half years, they've followed him, and they find themselves on this Thursday evening, and they're having the Passover meal or the Last Supper. And here they are, 
just hours before Jesus is arrested. They're probably only four to five hours before he is arrested. They're probably about 12 hours before he is going to be crucified. This is an intense night. It's a night full of emotion. There's confusion among the disciples. Over the dinner, there's all kinds of things that are happening. First, Judas gets up and leaves abruptly. The disciples don't know why Judas is leaving. They don't understand that he's just left to betray Jesus. Then Peter vows to die for Jesus, and Jesus rebukes Peter and says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times even before the rooster crows in the morning. Jesus, in the same conversation, tells his disciples, he says, it's time for me to go away. I'm going to go back to my father. Well, they didn't understand what he meant, and so they're confused. And to be honest with you, they really just start freaking out. And they're overwhelmed, and emotions are high, and the tension is thick. And after the dinner, they leave the house, and they start heading towards the Garden of Gethsemane. At some point on their way, we don't know where exactly, it's about a 45-minute walk, but somewhere along that walk, Jesus stops them. He gathers them together, and almost like a coach with his team, he huddles up his disciples, and he's going to give them one last message. And it's in the midst of all of this confusion and in the midst of this emotion that he's going to give them this message of one thing. Today's message is going to feel a little heavy. It's going to feel a little intense. But the reason it feels that way is because it is an intense message. It was intense for the disciples, and it will be a bit heavy for us as well. But it's in the midst of all of that tension and thickness that Jesus almost kind of grabs his disciples' faces and says, guys, I've got one thing you need to remember. This is it. This is the one thing that matters the most. And the apostle John, who wrote the gospel of John, he was one of those guys in that huddle. And this message left such an impression on John that decades later, when he write, write his gospel, he recorded what Jesus told them that night. And it's found in John chapter, 10, uh, John chapter 15. So follow along as I read verses 1 through 8. And I got a little bit of assignment, a little Bible study assignment. As you read, as, we, as I read, count how many times you hear the word abide. Okay, here we go. John 15 verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine and my father is the, gar- is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may, be, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, it must, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. How many times did Jesus use the word abide there? Seven. That's good. You can count. Okay. Um, Seven times, right? Seven times in eight verses, Jesus says, abide, abide, abide. What do you think Jesus' message was to his disciples? Abide, right? It's the one thing Jesus wanted them to get. It's the one thing he wanted them to remember that that matters most. Now, what does this word abide mean? This isn't a word we use very often these days. So let me spend a few minutes making sure we get a fundamental grasp on what abiding really means. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? And then I'm going to give you three reasons on why. Why you should make abiding your one thing. 
And then for the rest of our series, over the next three weeks, we're going to address the question of how. Each week for the next three weeks, we'll address some angle or some uh, look at answering the question, how do we abide in Jesus? So let's start right now with answering the question, what is abiding? Now, the NIV translation, which is uh, what we use most often here at Genesis, it's what the Blue Bibles are, the NIV, that, that translation uses the word remain, remain in me. So the Greek word for remain or abide is the word meno. Here's what, here's what it means. Uh, in Greek, it means to, basically to stay, to remain, to abide, or to dwell. To rest in, to continue to be present. My favorite way to define abiding is to simply say this. Abiding means to stay relationally connected to Jesus. Abiding in Jesus means to stay relationally connected to him. This isn't uh, a new concept for us. We stay relationally connected to people every day, don't we? And the simplest way we do this is through conversation. I have a conversation with my wife before we leave the house in the morning, and then throughout the day, we keep the conversation going, either by texting one another or maybe by calling one another. We stay relationally connected, and we keep the conversation going. This is maybe the simplest way to understand what it means to abide in Jesus throughout your day, every day. You can stay relationally connected and have this ongoing conversation with Jesus. He's alive today. That's what prayer is. Prayer, in its most simplest form, is a conversation with God. But abiding in Jesus is more than just having a conversation. It begins with a conversation, but it doesn't end there. To abide or to remain in Jesus also means to allow Jesus to continually influence us throughout our life, in every area of our life. Again, this is a familiar idea for us, right? We have people who influence us. Important people in our life influence us in different ways every day. In fact, if I ask you right now, who has been one or two people that's been influential in your life over the last couple of years, I'm sure you could certainly give me a few names. Maybe a parent or a grandparent, maybe a mentor or a lifelong friend has had some kind of positive influence in your life. And their values and their priorities, the life lessons that they have taught you and their love for you uh, have an ongoing, continual influence on your life, sometimes long after they're gone. So when Jesus says, abide in me, he's saying, allow me to keep influencing you throughout your life. Hold on to the values and the priorities of Jesus. Don't forget what Jesus has taught you in his word. Don't forget what Jesus has done for you on the cross. When you allow Jesus to influence every area of your life, you are abiding in Christ. Okay, so abiding is staying relationally connected to Jesus. It's keeping the conversation going. It's allowing Jesus to influence you in every area of your life. There's one more way I want to kind of look at what abiding means, and it's actually going to take a quick look at Jesus' relationship with his heavenly Father. You've heard us say often in here that Jesus is our model for life, and Jesus models for us what it means to abide because Jesus is one thing. The one thing that mattered the most to Jesus throughout his life was abiding in his heavenly Father. In fact, look at this. In John chapter 14, this is a little bit earlier in the night, that same night, Jesus says this to his disciples. They're confused. They, want, they don't understand why he's going back to his father. They say, will you, will you take us with you? And they think they can go with Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, you got to stay. You don't, you don't understand. I'm going to lay down the cross. And so they're just confused. And so Jesus says this to him. He says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father, I love this phrase, living in me. 
Jesus is saying, I'm abiding in the Father. The Father's abiding in me. He's living in me and he's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. He's saying we are abiding in one another. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He's living in me and through me. Jesus wants to do the same thing for us. Jesus wants to live in you and through you on a daily basis through his Holy Spirit. This is what abiding kind of looks like. Another way, Jesus gives us another word that helps us understand what abiding is. What is abiding? Jesus says in John 14, 23, just a few verses later, he says, anyone who loves me, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. We're going to talk about that in week three, the role of uh, obedience and meditating on God's word. He goes on to say, my father will love them, and we will come to them, and we will, this is the word I want you to catch, we will make our what? Home with them. Let's say it a little louder. One together. One, two, three. Home with them. Have you ever thought about that? Uh, have you ever described your relationship with God as making your home in him? Isn't that unique? Jesus says this. He says, God the Father and Jesus the Son, they want to make their home with us. Huh. Guess what that word home means? It means to abide. It means to stay. It means to dwell. It means to live in and to live with. Think of it this way. If I were to ask you where you live, you would probably give me the area of town that you live in or maybe your address. And your address gives the location of the physical home in which you live, right? But your home is much more than a house, isn't it? Right? Your home is where your life is. Your home is where you dwell every morning. You leave your home and every evening you return to your home because that's where you live. That's where you remain. That's the one place where you abide and dwell. Your home is your permanent dwelling place. Jesus is saying to his disciples and he says to us to abide in me or to remain in me, it means to make me your permanent dwelling place. Okay, so I've covered a lot of ground already. Let's recap. Let's take a deep breath. So abiding in Jesus is staying relationally connected to him. It's keeping the conversation going with him. It means to be continually influenced by him. It means to live in him, to make him our home, to make him our permanent dwelling place. Now, you may be asking at this point, okay, I kind of, all right, I get that. I kind of get those illustrations. That helps me make sense. What does it practically look like? Let me give you just a few examples of what it practically looks like to abide in Jesus. When you have a question about anything in life and you take your question to Jesus in prayer, you're abiding in him. When you are stressed or anxious and you turn to Jesus, you are abiding in him. When you need guidance in life or direction on, which, or direction on where to go and, or what to do, you need wisdom on a decision, and you pray and you search God's word and you really want to hear the voice of the Lord because you want his leadership in your life, you're abiding in him. Will you humble yourself? When you humble yourself and you confess your sins and you ask for forgiveness because Jesus' love compels you to do so, you're abiding in him. When you are weary and you are tired and you turn to Jesus for strength and encouragement, you are abiding in him. When you seek to find contentment and satisfaction in Jesus, not in the things of this world, you're abiding in him. When you want to love and forgive others in the same way that Jesus loved and forgave you, you are abiding in him. When you intentionally develop a pattern of, in your life of spending time alone with God, in his word, in prayer, because you want a close relationship with God, you are abiding in him. Now, some of you right now are really encouraged. Because as I list those examples, you'd say, yeah, that pretty much describes me. And you have every right to be encouraged. 
because you're probably doing the one thing that matters most. You're abiding in him. Others of you would say, well, I do some of those things some of the time. If that's you, then be encouraged because you're growing and you're learning to abide in Christ. My message to you is keep going. I hope this next four weeks will help you continue to learn how to abide in any even greater ways. But there's others of you who, as I listed some of those examples, you're thinking to yourself, wow, I don't, really, I don't really relate to Jesus like that. I mean, he doesn't play that big of a role in my life. If you're not relating to Jesus in some of those ways, then it probably means, I mean, it's, just, I, I'm just, it's probably a good indication that you're not abiding in Christ. Now, regardless of where you are when it comes to abiding, here's the challenge for all of us. The challenge for all of us is to make abiding in him the one thing that we pursue and pray for in our lives. Let's look back in the text in John 15 again, and now I'm going to show you three reasons on why. So I hope you get a grasp. I hope you got, you got a grasp on what abiding is, kind of get a good idea, okay, this is what abiding is. We're not going to really address how today. I'm going to try to hammer home three reasons on why it is so important for us to abide. So let's look at those three reasons. First, let's start with John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Why does Jesus compare himself to a vine in the first place? Isn't that a little weird? But the thing I love about Jesus is he uses simple illustrations that 2,000 years ago were helpful and fruitful, and they're still powerful and helpful today. So he says, I, I am the vine. Well, to answer the question as to why Jesus is the vine, we first have to understand that the Apostle John recorded seven I am statements in his gospel. Here's, here's the seven statements. Throughout his gospel, John says, uh, quotes Jesus in saying, Jesus said these things. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. My question for you is this. What do all seven of those statements have in common? I don't know about you, but the thing that I see that jumps out at me is those seven, each of those seven statements in some way, shape, or form represents life. Right? You can't live without bread, without food. Life on earth could not survive without the light of the sun. Jesus says, I am the gate and the good shepherd. Both of those protect the life of the sheep. In each of these statements, Jesus is essentially saying, I am your source of life. And a few times, he says it point blank. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am life. That's a bold statement for Jesus to make. This reminds me of the, uh, one comedian's joke about life cereal. He said, any Life Cereal fans? Anybody? Life Cereal? He said, how bold did those business executives have to be when they decided to name their cereal Life? He says, think about this. How could you possibly think that life is the best word that describes your little oat squares? Imagine being in that meeting with those executives, and they were deciding on what, what to name the cereal. Hey, guys, what should we name this new cereal? Oaties? Squares? How about little Oaties Squares? Finally, one guy steps up. He speaks up. He says, no, no, this cereal is much bigger than that. This cereal is life, I tell you. We must call it life. Like, I mean, how bold do you have to be? The comedian in his bit about this goes on to say, my goodness, if you're going to name your cereal life, why not go ahead and call your cereal Almighty God? <laughs> Who doesn't want to wake up in the morning to a yummy bowl of Almighty God? Or how about Almighty God with raisins? I was so nervous about my delivery. Y'all laugh. This is good. That's good. 
That's right, that's right. Hey, if this preaching doesn't work out, I'm going to be a comedian. Okay. And so Jesus makes this bold statement. He says, I am your source of life. Now listen, anytime Jesus makes a claim about himself, logically there are only three things, three possibilities. Number one, he's telling the truth. Number two, he's a liar. Or number three, he's a lunatic. So let's assume and trust that Jesus is telling the truth. And he says, I am your source of life. That's the role I play. So let me ask you this. Oh, that's, hey, that's, oh, wait. That's point number one. Jesus is our source of life. That's point number one. That's reason number one as to why we should make abiding in Jesus our one thing. Where do you turn to to find life? What do you turn to in order to find purpose and meaning for your life? What do you look to to bring you joy and satisfaction? What gives you a sense of peace and contentment? What is the foundation of your life built on? Where's your source of fulfillment? Where do you place your hope and your faith? I want to remind us this morning that the world offers us a counterfeit life. The life the world offers us isn't real. The world says life can be found in success, in making a name for yourself, in chasing after your dreams, in living the American dream, in having a nice house, and new cars, and cool clothes, and lots of money. But listen, real life is not found in those things. Those things are counterfeit life. The Bible would tell us that nothing of this world will bring you the life that we all long for. I love Psalm 63.1 here. Psalm 63.1 says, this world is a dry and parched land where there is no water. That's bad news. That's a little discouraging. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? But here's the good news. The good news is that God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to give us life. And not just any kind of life, but eternal life. John 3.16 says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He so loved you and me that he gave his son to die on the cross to pay for your sins and mine. And that through Jesus Christ we could experience eternal life with him. But here's the thing I want to remind myself also this morning. It is that eternal life doesn't begin when we die. Eternal life doesn't begin when we die. Eternal life, real life, begins the moment we enter into relationship with Jesus. Look at John 17, 3 with me. Jesus is speaking, and he is going to define eternal life for us. He says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I want you to look at that text and tell me, when does eternal life begin? Eternal life begins the moment we come to know God, the moment we enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus wants to be much more than just a ticket to heaven after we die. He wants to be our source of life. He wants us to learn to abide in him every single day to draw the necessary life we need from him. And so if Jesus is the vine, if he's our source of life, then what role does the branch play? What's our role? Let's look back at the text, John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I'm the vine and you are the branches. All right, just make sure it's clear. We're all branches. Shout out to the branches. We're branches. All right. All right. So we know our identity. Our identity is we're branches. It's going to tell us a lot. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from him, apart from me, you can do nothing. Just as, just as a branch must stay connected to the vine, we too must stay relationally connected 
to Jesus. And Jesus says, I, I know this is a sobering message. It, 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 he says some of the most profound words. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Let me just make sure you hear this correctly. Apart from a relationship with Jesus, you can do nothing. I, this has always been just, I've been meditating on this passage for 15 years. I can't think of more sobering words from Jesus' mouth. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This leads us to point number two and the second reason why you should make abiding in Jesus your one thing. Number two is this. We must abide in Jesus. We must abide in Jesus. It's really not optional. It's not a suggestion. It's absolutely essential. Just like a branch is dependent on the vine, we are desperately dependent on Jesus. We must abide in him. Now, what did Jesus mean when he said, you can do nothing? Certainly we can all do something. We're doing something just. Well, when Jesus says you can do nothing, he's saying it in the context of a branch being fruitful. You're branches. We're branches. I'm a branch. And so he's talking, about, he's talking to us about our fruitfulness. And so what he's saying in essence is this. Apart from staying relationally connected to him, our life will have no real fruit. He's saying we can do nothing of eternal value or of lasting eternal significance. This is sobering, right? Look what he says in verse 6. It doesn't get any, encouraging, any more encouraging. Look at this. Verse 6, he says this. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, some scholars say that Jesus is referring to hell here. That may be the case. If it is, then Jesus' words are all the more important and sobering. But other scholars think that he wasn't talking about hell. Because the, the context in which he said it is, he's speaking to his disciples, he's speaking to his followers of Christ. I tend to think that that's the correct interpretation. I don't think he's talking about hell here. So if he's, what's Jesus saying then? He's saying a branch that doesn't remain in the vine won't produce any fruit. And if there's no fruit, then the branch really isn't worth much. And so it's thrown into the fire and burned. I think Jesus is saying this. If you want your life here on earth to bear fruit for eternity, then you must abide in Jesus. It's the one thing that matters most. Now, here's what's really encouraging. Let's turn the corner. We're, all right, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get encouraging now, all right? Here's the encouraging part. And it comes right from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus promises that if we abide in him, if we remain in him, we will bear much fruit. Look back at verse 5. This is the NIV translation. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you what? Will bear much fruit. Isn't that encouraging? That's Jesus promising. That's Jesus making us an incredible promise that we need to hold on to, that we need to believe in and have faith in. Our faith is not in our faithfulness to produce fruit. Our faith is in his faithfulness to produce the fruit. Our role is to abide in the vine. His role is to produce the fruit. Jesus says, if you remain, in, remain or abide in me, you will bear much fruit. He doesn't say you might bear much fruit. He doesn't say you'll bear a little bit of fruit. Jesus makes an incredible promise saying, and this is point number three, third reason why you should make Jesus, uh, abiding in Jesus your one thing. Jesus promises that we will bear much fruit. What a great promise. Now, I kind of hit on it just a second ago, but where does the fruit come from? What produces the fruit, the vine or the branch? Think about this. What produces that fruit? It's the vine. If a branch is broken off, put on the ground, it dies. The branch has no life in itself. So the fruit doesn't come from the branch. The fruit comes from the vine. It's the vine's role and responsibility to produce the fruit. The branch's role is to be a conduit. Its job is to stay connected to the vine. 
Joel and I went to a local vineyard this week, Joel Burkhead and I. Uh, this is it, a sweet lady. We got to spend a little bit of time with her. It's only about 15 minutes away. It's a beautiful place. But we took some shots here, and I just, I just want you to get that visual in your head. Here's a branch, and there's some uh, really great-smelling gr- grapes that, uh, uh, that are produced from the branch. Now, I want us to be encouraged by this. Bearing the fruit, producing the fruit is not our job. It's the vine's job. Our job is to stay connected to Jesus. If we will focus on and make abiding in Jesus the one thing we give our attention to, he will produce the fruit in our lives. Now, what kind of fruit does God want to produce? Uh, Maybe Galatians chapter 5 comes to your mind. That's where Paul lists several examples of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, I don't know about you, wouldn't you like more of that fruit in your life? <laughs> Isn't that the fruit we all want? Wouldn't we all like a little bit more love, a little bit more joy, a little more peace, a little more patience? He goes on to say, fruit of the Spirit is kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. I don't know about you, but that's the fruit I want in my life. And here's the encouraging. That's the fruit God wants to produce in your life. That's what he wants to produce. Those aren't the only examples of fruit. I like to define fruit as this. Any area of our life where God wants to help us grow. God wants to help us grow in our identity in Christ. He wants us to help us grow in our relationship with him, in our relationships with each other. God wants to help us grow and in the character of Christ. God wants to help us grow in influencing others for the kingdom of God, in serving others and making disciples. Isn't this the fruit we want in our lives? Here's what's encouraging. This is all part of God's plan for your life and mine. In fact, look at verse 8. Jesus says this in verse 8. John 15, 8. There it is. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what my father is glorified by. Here's what brings my father honor. This is my father's plan for your life, to bear much fruit, to bear much fruit. Do you know what God's will for your life is? This question is often asked. Maybe you've asked this recently. What's God's will for my life? I'll tell you, here's a really good definition you can stand on. God's will is that you would abide in Jesus, allow the life of Christ to bear fruit in you and through you, and with your life, bring God glory. That's God's will for your life and mine. That's God's will for our children. That's God's will for our church family. And because we know that's God's plan for us, we can trust that God will take care of us and our Heavenly Father will take good care of us. That's kind of the last point I want to highlight for you today is this. Maybe you need to be reminded this morning that your Heavenly Father will take good care of you. That's the role of the vine dresser. That's the role of a gardener. The role of a vine dresser and gardener is to take good care of the vine and the branches and the fruit. Listen, our lives are ultimately, are ultimately in the hands of our heavenly father. And here's what you can rest in. Here's what you can abide in this morning is that your heavenly father is a real good gardener. He's a much better gardener than me. (laughs) He's a real good gardener and he wants to see much fruit in your life and he wants to be a successful gardener with a good reputation and he wants to use your life to bring himself a really good reputation. Here's my my encouragement for you. Allow your heavenly father, the vine dresser, to do his part. Allow your heavenly father to take care of you. Allow Jesus, the vine, to play his role. Make Jesus your source of life and you do your part. What's our part as a branch? To abide, to abide. We've made the simple prayer card and uh, I want to... You can grab one of these on your way out at the doors. They'll have these. Uh, We want to invite you over the next four weeks to grab this prayer card and to pray with us. 
and let's unite together as a church family for four weeks and let's pray and let's ask God to make us a church of one thing. Let's ask God to make us men and women and families of one thing. Let's ask God to help teach us how to abide. Let's, let's learn how to abide together. So maybe you pick this card up on your way out and you'd stick it in your Bible and you would look at it every day. Maybe you'd stick it on the dashboard of your car or on the mirror in your restroom. Put it somewhere where you're gonna see it every day for the next four weeks and you can pray this simple prayer. Father, teach me how to abide in you. I wanna be a man, a woman of one thing. This is a prayer that King David prayed back in Psalm 27.4. I love this passage. King David says this, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. I want to point out that he says, there's one thing I ask. He says, this is my number one prayer. And he says, this, is, this only do I seek. This is my number one pursuit. King David said, the number one prayer and pursuit of my life is this, that I may dwell. And guess what that word dwell means? means to abide, that I may dwell, that I may abide in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. The house of the Lord, the temple for David was the presence of God. King David said, I'm going to be a man of one thing. I want to abide in Christ. It's the one thing my life is going to be about. Church family, let's be a church family of one thing. Let's make abiding in Jesus your number one prayer and pursuit. And let's watch God do his part. Let's watch the true vine bear much fruit in us and through us and with our lives and with our church. Let's bring Jesus glory. Band's going to play one more song. Let me pray this Psalm 27:4 prayer for us. Will you pray with me? Father, the one thing I ask of you, the one thing I am seeking personally is to abide in you, Jesus. Would you help me to abide in you? I want to bear much fruit and bring you glory. Father, I want our church family, we all, Lord, we want to be a people of one thing. We want to be men and women and students and children. We want to be families. We want to be a church of one thing, God. Then make, would you help us make the number one prayer and pursuit of our lives abiding in you, Jesus? Over the next four weeks, would you help us to learn to abide so that our lives, so that our church would bear much fruit and bring you glory, Jesus? It's in your name I pray. Amen.